All right, if nobody else wants to say anything, we're going to read from Psalm 118 today. Psalm 118, we're going to read verses 17 through 29. Psalm 118, 17, 17 through 29 says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. I need some glasses. <laughs> the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his, his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So um, we've come to worship the Lord today on the Palm Sunday where we celebrate. We're going to uh, say the Lord's Prayer together, and then we're going to have the, the kids come up and do, do something for you all. So let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to have the kids come up and do something for us. So this is uh, the second year in a row that we're blessed to have the Master's Men to lead us in worship on Palm Sunday. So let's uh, praise the Lord together with them. They may be the same songs, but the words are so important to us that we just believe every word that the songs bring across. sing with us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Sun for 
watching from a distance and they could not take their eyes from you you were bleeding they were weeping faithful sisters they had followed you they did not understand they could not see they were mourning sky turned black and the earth turned red at the foot of the cross. He was standing near your mother. They were so close. They could hear you sighing all around them. Angry voices Here's the darkness, and you were dying, but they would not leave. They lingered there, no matter the cost. They were staying, they were praying at the foot of the standing in your presence and I cannot take my eyes from you you have risen I'm forgiven precious Savior oh I worship you no I'm not looking back I've heard your voice and I'm staying here I've made my choice, for now it's real, and now I kneel at the foot of the cross. Keep me near the cross, near the cross, may I never stray so far that I cannot see what flowed down for me at the foot of the cross. Keep me near the cross, near the cross. May I never stray so far that I cannot see what flowed down for me at the can all be seated, please. This next song will represent the communion that we'll be taking care of. So here we go. Each drop of blood was shed 
thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and your love. We ask you now to bless this cup and this bread as we take it in remembrance of your son's life on the cross. We do this now in his name. Amen.
Good morning, everyone. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Heartland events calendar is available on the welcome table just outside in the foyer. Um, everything should be updated online as well, so if you go to the website, everything should be there. Pill bottle collections. Um, we collect pill bottles from Matthew 25 Ministries for the shipment of medical supplies, shredding and recycling. It supports local and global ministries. We also collect ink, used ink cartridges. Um, recycling empty ink cartridges help reduce the cost of office supplies here at the church. If you have any questions about that, you can talk to Carol. Food pantry closed closets every Thursday, 5 to 7. Donations can be dropped off during that time or on Sundays after service. Um, there's a list there of most frequently needed items. And if you're interested in a way to serve, um, we'd love to have you on a Thursday. Um, we have some people that do a lot of the lifting, some people that do the praying. There's a role for everybody. So if you're interested in just coming to see what we do, we'd love to have you. Refit free dance fitness class. If this picture looks familiar, that's because you're sitting in the same room that we do the workout. <laughs> so it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. Um, it's free and it's fun, so God wants us to move our bodies, and so this is a good way to do that. <laughs> Empty Nesters, Women of the Bible, um, is at Ruth Liming's house on Thursdays at 10 a.m. We will be having our first Good Friday service uh, this Friday, April 7th at 7 p.m. Josh is gonna be, gonna, gonna be doing the reading, um, but there's gonna be worship, there's gonna be communion, so we'd love to just have you out. Food and Fellowship um, will be Wednesday, April 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Um, this theme is going to be soup and salad, so there's a sign-up out on the welcome table. If you'd like to join us, if you'd like to bring something to eat, um, we'd love to have you. Goshen Community Easter Egg Hunt is this Saturday, April the 8th at 11. Um, Heartland has been collecting eggs over the last month. We, are, we committed to 5,000 eggs, and I think we're pretty close to that, so thank you so much. Um, we will be doing a final count today, and uh, we will let you know how that looks. Youth bowling will be Friday, April the 28th from 7 to 9 at Eastgate Lanes. Um, if you're interested or have any questions, let me know. Breakfast fellowships the first Sunday of the month at 9.30, which was today. If you missed it, I'm so sorry. Breakfast is better when we eat together. It is a good way just to get to know someone um, that you haven't met before or get to know someone better. Weekly um, budget is listed here. This is These are the new numbers and the new ministries that we will be supporting through 2023. Um, so it's 2790 Cincinnati Challenge Ranch, which is formerly Teen Challenge, Sun Reflection Refuge, which is a local women's shelter, Bluebird Bus of Hope. I'm sure you guys have seen that big blue bus out there in our way sometimes, but they do great work. Um, Goshen Warrior Packs, which is food Food um, pack lunches for the weekends for the kids at Goshen Schools. Food pantry, closed closet, and then IDES, which is International Disaster Emergency Service that helped us during the tornado. Ways to give can be in person, online, or texting. All right, so let's uh, get into the Word today. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter, chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, 1 through 11, and when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is, Israel's Unexpected and Rejected King. Now, Matthew 21, 1 through 11, the Scripture say, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up asking, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, today is the beginning of what Christians call Holy Week. And during this week, we remember the last days of our Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. Among other things, we remember the Lord's Last Supper with the disciples, is washing His disciples' feet. We remember the Lord's three hours of intense, agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We remember His betrayal by one of His disciples and His being denied by Peter and deserted by His other disciples. We remember the Lord's arrest and trial, the brutal beatings and mockery He endured, the crown of thorns He wore the cross he carried, and the six agonizing hours he spent suspended between heaven and earth as the sinless Son of God poured out his blood as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. We remember his death and his burial and how all of that led up to the glorious day when he conquered the grave. But you got to come back next week to hear about all that. So we're gonna, Next week we celebrate the resurrection. But today we focus on the Sunday before the resurrection as we talk about Israel's unexpected and rejected king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Give us eyes and ears to see and hear the truth, and to give us the will and the ability through your grace to practice the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the year is 33 AD. The month is March. And just like they've done for many millennia, Faithful Jews from all over the world are taking an annual trip to Jerusalem for the Passover. The Passover was an annual seven-day-long festival where God's people remembered and celebrated how God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And this was the most important event on the Jewish calendar. And as many as two and a half million Jews would come to Jerusalem from all over the world for this event. And this was always a season of expectation. Because God's people were not only looking back to God's deliverance from their enemies in the past, they were also looking forward to God's promise to send the Messiah, Israel's king, who would once again deliver them from their enemies. And on March 31st, in A.D. 33, the atmosphere in Jerusalem was especially electric because that prophecy is about to be fulfilled. On the east side of the city of Jerusalem, there's a parade of people coming toward the eastern gate, and Israel's long-awaited king is coming with them. Among them, we see former fishermen, radical politicians, and tax collectors, former prostitutes, thieves, and other sinners whom Jesus has freed from their sins. We also see former blind men, lepers, demoniacs, and many others whom Jesus healed from various diseases. And as they take the mile-long trek from Bethany to Jerusalem's eastern gate, the number of people in this parade starts to swell. The large crowd who came for the Passover feast hear that Jesus of Nazareth is coming to Jerusalem, and they join the parade. And in John 12, 17 through 18, John tells us one of the reasons why they were joining the parade. John says, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead kept telling what they had seen. This is another reason a crowd met him. They heard he had done this miraculous sign. Now, more than anything else, it was his miracles that proved over and over that Jesus is the king Israel had been waiting for. And by the time Jesus gets to the eastern gate of Jerusalem, a great crowd of those who had experienced and heard about his miracles is in front of him and behind him. And in Matthew 21, 8 through 9, Matthew tells us what this crowd is doing. He says, a very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed him kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And in John 12, 13, John adds this. Taking palm branches, they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This is a joyful celebration. 
Some people excitedly wave palm branches. Others put palm branches in the road. Still others lay their own clothes in the road. It's a first century red carpet welcome for Israel's long-awaited king. And this is why we call today Palm Sunday. Because on this day, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus entered Jerusalem as people waved palm branches, placed them on the road, and shouted praise to him as the king of Israel. But why palm branches? What's the significance of palm branches? Is that just the trees that were along the side of the road? Let's pick any trees. What's the significance of these palm branches? Well, palm branches represent salvation and eternal peace. And when we combine the symbolism of the palm branches with the crowd's shouts of Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us, well, we get this beautiful picture of the crowd that came for the Passover, acknowledging Jesus is the King of Israel, and they expect Jesus to bring salvation and eternal peace by delivering them from their enemies and establishing God's eternal kingdom. And you know, the crowd was right about this. Jesus is their king, and Jesus did come to bring salvation and eternal peace and establish God's eternal kingdom. But this salvation and peace would not happen the way they expected. Now, at that time, Israel was under Roman rule. So the messianic expectation was for Israel's king to be a political ruler who would give Israel independence as a nation and release them from physical poverty and the oppression of Rome. But everything that Jesus had done up to this point in his public ministry showed his followers that he had no concern for earthly kingdoms. He would not be an earthly king, at least not in this earth as it is now. He came to bring a kingdom that is not of this world, a heavenly kingdom, something we all do well to remember. He did not come to establish his kingdom on earth as a political ruler. He came to bring a heavenly kingdom. Jesus had been preaching this kingdom for three and a half years. Now he enters Jerusalem as the king of this kingdom to set in motion the events that will reveal, reveal more clearly the true nature of his kingdom. And in the process, Jesus does at least four things that show the crowd his kingship and his kingdom are not what they expect. First, the king comes riding a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew 21.4, Matthew tells us Jesus did this to fulfill a particular prophecy, a prediction that was given 500 years before it happened. We read this prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. The scriptures say, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. Somebody's stuff's getting stolen outside. He is righteous and brings salvation. He is humble and is riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be taken away and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from the sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. <laughs> Ain't that just like the devil, just to wait till you get done reading the scripture, then turn the thing off, right? So I'm going to read that last part, that last part again. The battle bow will be taken away, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. See, Zechariah says, your king is coming to you, but not like other kings. He will not come as a king of war with pride and power, riding a war horse or in a chariot. No, Israel's king comes humbly as a king of peace, riding on a donkey. And this king's war is not with the Romans or any earthly enemies. And his war is not just with the enemies of Israel. His war is with all the enemies of humanity. Those enemies include sin, Satan, demons, and death, and all the forces of evil. And this king will not fight this war with spears, swords, bows, or bombs. The only weapons in this war will be a whip, a hammer, two beams of wood, and three nails. And the only blood that will be shed in this war will be the blood of Israel's king. The king comes humbly to Jerusalem as the king of peace to begin the week that will end with him humbly pouring out his blood for the sins of the world, being buried, and then rising from the grave on the third day to save humanity from the fading kingdom of darkness 
and bring us into the eternal kingdom of light. So although Israel's king came just as the prophet predicted, humbly on a donkey as the king of peace, well, Jesus did not meet the messianic expectation of the Lord's people. The second unexpected thing Jesus did was what he said when he got to the gate of Jerusalem. So the king comes predicting the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. In Luke 19, 41 through 45, Luke tells us, as Jesus came near Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. He said, if you, yes, you had only known on this day the things that would bring peace to you, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In fact, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. Within your walls, they will dash you and your children to the ground. And within your walls, they will not leave one stone upon, on top of another because you did not recognize the time when God came to help you. Now, this is not the kind of talk you want to hear from the man who's supposed to save you and your people and your city from the Romans. This sounds more like a prophecy of destruction than a promise of salvation. And that's exactly what it is. It's a prophecy that was fulfilled 37 years after Jesus spoke these words. Because the Jewish people rejected Jesus as their king, and they did not want the kind of salvation that God was offering them through their Messiah, well, God rejected them. You see, over and over, Jesus tells parables and all this stuff about these things. Over and over, he makes it very, very plain. That because his people rejected him, he would reject them. And to make a long story short, in 66 AD, the Jews in Judea rebelled against their Roman oppressors. The results of this rebellion are described in detail by the Jewish historian Josephus. He actually goes into great detail and describes things that are very horrific, things that happened. It happened just as Jesus predicted. The Romans built an embankment against Jerusalem, surrounded it, and hemmed the people in on every side. In 68 AD, under the leadership of the Roman emperor Titus, the Romans broke through the walls of Jerusalem and then spent two years dashing the Jewish people and their children to the ground and systematically destroying the city. And in 70 AD, the temple, the final blow was, was uh, struck when they, the temple was uh, burned and torn apart. So for Israel's king who was coming to bring salvation and eternal peace, for him to prophesy such destruction on Jerusalem was unexpected. And I'm sure people are looking at him like, what is this dude talking about? So you have the donkey. He rides in on a donkey that's unexpected. The prediction of the destruction of Jerusalem is unexpected. And the third thing Jesus did that was unexpected is the king comes driving dealers from the temple in Jerusalem. So instead of coming into Jerusalem and rallying the troops for an uprising against Rome, in Matthew 20, 21, 12 through 13, Matthew says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were selling and buying in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And I think when we read this, it's hard to see the fierceness with which Jesus did these things in the temple. He was angry, very angry, right? He had actually made a whip and started whipping people. Well, I don't know if he whipped people. It does say he whipped the animals. He probably did whip the people too, but it doesn't really tell us. So in John, in, uh, John 2, 16, John adds this. He says, to those selling doves, he said, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. And in Mark eleven sixteen. Mark adds, he would not allow anyone to carry any merchandise through the temple courts. So you have one man comes through, shuts the whole thing down. Nobody's doing anything else in his house, in his father's house. See, Jesus was much more concerned about how the Jewish people were treating the Jewish temple than he was with running the Romans out of Jerusalem. The Jews were not using the temple for its intended purpose. Its intended purpose was to connect people from all nations to God as a house of prayer. And instead, lousy leaders had allowed worship to be turned into a business, a business that lined these leaders' pockets by oppressing the poor among God's people. And Jesus was sick of seeing these robbers ruin his father's house. You know, we should be rightly indignant when people do things in the name of God that aren't right. 
That's what Jesus is doing here. Doing here. Uh, it's, uh, one of the Gospels talks about zeal for your house has consumed me. That's what this, this is talking about. Jesus was so zealous for his father's house that he went in here and did all these things that he's doing. He's sick of seeing this stuff. These robbers are ruined in his father's house. So Jesus just shut the whole thing down. He's flipping tables. He's tossing chairs, running people off. Now, does this sound like gentle Jesus, meek and mild that we're always hearing about? This dude has got a lamb draped over his shoulder. He's in there. Hey, guys, don't do this stuff in my father's house. Isn't that right? Is that the way Jesus is portrayed to most of us? That's not how Jesus is. Jesus is a scary guy. He's scary. Does some scary things. So that's what he's saying. He's flipping tables. He's tossing all these things around, telling, telling people to stop bringing this stuff into my father's house. None of this belongs here. And by cleansing the temple in this way, Jesus showed the people in Jerusalem, see, their real problem was not the Romans. Their real problem was their view of God and the way that they treated the things of God. So the king comes and he drives out the dealers, those who were turning God's house into a place of business and robbing God's people. And those three things, the riding the donkey, the predicting destruction, and driving out the dealers, well, that might have been enough to call some of God's people to reject Jesus as Israel's king. But in Mark's account of Jesus' driving the dealers out of the temple, Mark gives us some details that show, that show us what I believe is the main reason King Jesus was rejected by God's people. And that brings us to the fourth and final unexpected thing Jesus did. The king comes bringing dismay to the rulers in Jerusalem. Now, Mark eleven eighteen, 18, Mark says, The chief priests and the experts in the law heard this and were looking for a way to kill him. Indeed, they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And notice Mark says the whole crowd was amazed at Jesus' teaching. Even after Jesus rode in on a donkey, predicted Jerusalem's destruction, and drove the dealers from the temple, the whole crowd was still amazed at what Jesus taught. They're still hanging on his every word. And it was the religious rulers that did not like what they were hearing from Jesus. It was the religious rulers who wanted to kill Jesus because they were afraid of Jesus. And in John eleven forty eight, John tells us what they are afraid of. Using their own words, here's what they say. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, the religious rulers were afraid. If everyone believed Jesus is the Messiah, then the religious rulers would lose their place. Their place is the lavish lifestyle that they built for themselves through religious deception. And without the influence of these religious rulers, God's people may not have rejected Jesus as their king. But when we read the Gospels, we see these religious rulers sneaking around, starting fights with Jesus, and stirring up the Jewish people and the Romans to turn against Jesus. So the Jewish leaders were the main factor that led to Israel's unexpected king becoming Israel's rejected king. And if you read the Scriptures, you see it over and over. The people go astray because the leaders go astray. The people don't act right because the leaders don't act right. And it's the same thing when Jesus came. They wanted Jesus dead because he was a threat to their lavish lifestyle. And when we fast forward five days after Palm Sunday, we see these religious rulers had their hand in every phase of the trial, execution, and burial of Israel's king. It was the religious rulers that convinced Judas to betray Jesus. The religious rulers falsely accused Jesus. The religious rulers unlawfully tried and convicted Jesus. And then these rotten religious rulers brought Jesus before the Roman governor and went to work convincing the people to help them carry out their plan to kill Jesus by choosing a ruthless rebel over their rightful king. In Mark 5, sorry, Mark 15, 6 through 15, Mark writes this. At each Passover festival, Pilate used to release to the people one prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was imprisoned with the rebels and had committed murder in the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Pilate replied, do you want me to release the king of the Jews to you? In fact, he knew that it was because of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas to them instead. 
Again, Pilate replied to them, Then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Crucify him, they shouted back. But Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done? Sorry, what has he done wrong? But they shouted even louder, Crucify him. And since he wanted to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after he had Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. And notice here that Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, and he knew that Jesus had done nothing deserving of death, and Pilate knew the religious rulers were behind this whole thing. And it seems the crowd also wanted to let Jesus go. See, they came to Pilate and asked him to do what he normally did for them. They wanted them to release a prisoner to them. And Pilate's question, do you want me to release the king of the Jews to you? Well, that implies that the crowd wanted, them, wanted him to release Jesus. But the religious rulers, they slither in, they stir up and convince the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. We've been blaming this crowd this whole time, right? All these years, this crowd turned on Jesus. Well, the reason they did it is because these rotten religious rulers came in here and stirred them up. So five days after the glorious celebration on Palm Sunday, most of those who shouted, Hosanna to the king, Lord, please save us. Well, most of them had been so influenced by these religious rulers that they were shouting, crucify him. See, the religious rulers rejected Jesus as the Messiah and convinced this crowd, convinced God's people to do the same. But what nobody knew at the time is this. Everything that happened here was a part of God's plan. So the Jewish leaders and the crowd did not know it yet. But what they were asking for was shouts of, Hosanna, Lord, please save us. Well, what nobody knew is the salvation they were asking for would be accomplished through their cry to crucify him. See, in their rejection of the Messiah and their giving Jesus over to be crucified, God used everyone involved to fulfill Jesus' mission as the Messiah. And what was his mission? Well, his mission was to bring salvation and eternal peace to the world. As Peter says in Acts 2, 23 through 24, this man who was handed over by God's set plan and foreknowledge, I want you to notice this, handed over by God's set plan and foreknowledge. God knew this was going to happen. God orchestrated this whole thing. You killed by having lawless men nail him to a cross. He is the one God raised up by freeing him from the agony of death because death was not able to hold him in its grip. And as Paul says in Acts 13, 27 through 33, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him. And by condemning him, they listen to this, by condemning him, they fulfilled the statements of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. They've been hearing this for years and years and years, every Sabbath. And they fulfilled it, the things they did. Though they found no grounds for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out everything that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. And here's the exciting part. We'll talk about this more next week. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These same individuals are now his witnesses to the people. And by the way, Christianity is not based on a, uh, just some kind of pie in the sky type thing. Our religion is based on evidence, physical evidence, right? Witnesses who saw Jesus die, saw him get buried, and then saw him rise from the grave or saw him after he had risen from the grave. And going on in verse 32, we are preaching to you the good news about the promise that was made to our fathers. We are preaching to you, the, just trying to read it again. God has fulfilled this promise for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Israel's king came in a way that was unexpected, and he was rejected, and that was God's plan all along. This is how the Lord brought about salvation and eternal peace, not only for Israel, but for the entire world. Israel's king came when the Lord Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. And in doing all of those things, Jesus made it possible for all the world to be freed from our enemies, freed from sin and Satan, freed from death and demons and all the powers of darkness, and this includes any addiction that anybody has, freed from all those things. Jesus made a way for that. That's the plan God accomplished through Israel's unexpected 
and rejected king. And as we close, during this holy week, as we look forward to our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, let's remember why Jesus came. Israel's king came to save us from our sins, to save us from Satan, from demons and death, and from all the powers of darkness. Israel's king came to bring humanity into the kingdom of light. And Jesus did that by becoming human, living a sinless life, suffering and dying on a cross, rising from the grave and ascending into heaven. And in heaven, the Lord Jesus now sits at the right hand of God the Father, a divine human being at the right hand of God the Father, where he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And now, when we turn from sin and Satan, when we turn from demons and darkness and are united with the Lord Jesus in holy baptism, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And somewhere Paul says that we're sitting with him, seated with him in heavenly places. That should get somebody excited, right? We're seated with him in heavenly places. We're connected to Christ. We sit with him where he is now. And as we live as citizens of Christ's kingdom, by obeying Christ's holy commandments, through God's grace, we will become like him who became like us. And we will have salvation and eternal peace with God as we live the kind of life that he wants us to live. All of that came to us through Israel's unexpected and rejected king. So as by baptism, we were buried with you, O Christ our God. So by your resurrection, we were considered worthy of eternal life. And praising you, we cry, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. We thank you for becoming like us so that we can become like you. Lord, give us grace to keep serving you as our king as we obey your commands today and always. In your name we pray. Amen. So they're going to sing a final song here. As they do that, you're welcome to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, there will be people up here to pray with you. If you have a question about anything I said today, um, I'll be available for that afterward. If you don't know the Lord, you're not a part of this kingdom that I talked about today, again, I want you to know how to become a part of this kingdom. So speak to me after, after the service, and we'll get you hooked up with that. So before they sing this song, I'm going to uh, speak the Lord's prayer over you. I'll speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands the old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul or his loss. On one side, marched the forces of evil, all the demons and devils.
Have a great week, everybody. Glimmer that breaks a corn sin light. 
Ooh. Mm -hmm. 